Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt, and I'll be your host on this edition of RTR, and I'm joined by my good friend Andrew, and uh, judging by the smell, I would say that we're recording on a Ferengi vessel this time around. That's right, Matt. Uh, Damon Tog was nice enough to let us film and record on the Creighton this week, which is, uh, I don't know, pretty nice of him for a a Ferengi. Pretty charitable he's only charging us five bars of latinum an hour so yes gold a... press latinum i had to use up uh, all of my uh reserves <laughs> to get onto the creighton how are you doing today matt i'm doing pretty well i guess um looking forward to talking a little menage a troy this week yes menage a troy uh i'm happy to be back on the enterprise d back with the tng crew and uh, back to just a nice weekly adventure. Isn't that how this one kind of felt? Um, I would say in general, yes. Um, yeah, we're back on the next generation for a second podcast in a row. Yeah, that's true, actually. Oddly enough, it doesn't really come up a, a whole, whole bunch, but when it does come up, it's, uh, I guess not statistically that crazy. There are lots of next generation episodes. It's true. Um, let's start by, uh, just Going back to the end of our last podcast, where I gave Andrew a quick one-minute recall of uh, what I could remember this episode. Uh, So, Andrew, why don't you tell me how I did and give me a rating out of five 3D chess pieces. Well, uh, I think you knew this one pretty much straight away. Um, You knew that it was Riker, Troy, and Loxana, and that it uh, all started with uh, Betazoid. You knew that it was Ferengis that abducted them. The Enterprise had to track them down. Of course, you had the Picard uh, poems, the big uh, love scene at the end, or the not love scene, but the love confession at the end, which wins Luxana back. You did say that Riker came up with the idea to convince Picard, which is not true. That's not exactly how it uh, works out. But after we went off the air... You mentioned that it was uh, Ethan Phillips was one of the Ferengis, one of the first Star Trek pieces. So I'm actually going to omit that mistake this week because you did have that little bit. You just didn't mention it when you were going through it. It, You did have the knowledge. So I think that uh, this is going to be a 5 out of 5. A 5 out of 5 3D chess pieces. Well, I, I think that's more than, uh, what was that Ferengi guy's name who kept getting whipped at chess by uh, Riker? Yeah, but did that guy have a name, or was he just kind of a generic crewman? He did have a name, but I don't think it was uh, uttered on screen. Oh, okay. So yeah, you know what, that was pretty good, and I have a sinking suspicion that you will be able to absolutely uh, crush my trivia question for you this week. Um, you know what, I, I think that You've been just doing so well with these. I have to just give you a nice, easy one. Reduce your stress levels. It's <laughs> mental health week here in Canada, so I just want to give you something nice, <laughs> easy for you to get. But, of course, if you're playing along, you should try at home. Um, this, uh, of course, has Luxana Troy in it, and mm-hmm. um, that is played by Major Barrett. And so my cra- question for you this week is, 
Name all of the characters that Majel Barrett played. Uh, Nurse Chapel. That is one. Number one. Number one is number two, yes. Yeah, I went a little out of the expected order there, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was also the computer voice of, like, every Starfleet uh, thing in the 24th century. That is true. Is that it? Well, and the, the big Walks one. Walks on a Troy. Walks on a Troy, yeah, well done. All right, good stuff. And uh, I guess maybe... Uh, well, we'll talk about Majel a bit later, but yeah, that's a uh, a good one. I, her most famous role, I would have to think, is Loxana. Uh Definitely the most memorable by virtue of being incredibly annoying, yes. <laughs> well, we'll get there. I feel like Loxana might be a little... There might be a bit more to her than than what the general populace remembers, but that's, uh, that's for a discussion a little bit later on. Yes, uh, we will be discussing Menage a Troy... Uh, which is from Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 24. It originally aired on May 28, 1990. It guest stars Majel Barrett as Luaxana Troy, Frank Corzentino as Damon Tog, Ethan Phillips as Dr. Farrick, Peter Slutzler as Nibor, Rudolph Wilrick as Rayton Grax, and Carol Stroykin as Mr. Hum. It was written by Fred Bronson and Susan Hackett and, or sorry, Susan Sackett. I was thinking Martha Hackett for a second there. It was directed by Robert Legato. And just in case you didn't get a chance to watch it, uh, here's a, a quick synopsis. The Enterprise is hosting a reception after a successful trade conference on Beta Z. Among the guests is everyone's favorite overbearing parent, Waxana Troy, who catches the eye of a member of the Ferengi delegation, Damon Tog. Tog approaches Waxana and is loudly rejected in front of everyone. Waxana and Troy have a mother-daughter chat, which, predictably, ends with Troy storming out after her mother points out that she is not yet married. Picard grants Troy and Riker some shore leave, which they spend frolicking in a garden on Beta Z. The Waxana tracks them down and brings a nice picnic, which is ruined when Tog beams down and kidnaps the trio, leaving behind a very confused Mr. Hum. They wake up in a cell on the Ferengi vessel, and shortly after Troy and Loxana are beamed to Damon Tog without their clothing, he explains that he wants to go into business with Loxana, using her telepathic abilities to gain an edge in his business dealings. Loxana telepathically communicates to Troy that she believes she can manipulate Tog and help them to escape. As Riker plots his escape from the cell on the Ferengi vessel, Wesley makes his final preparations to leave the Enterprise to complete his final Starfleet Academy entrance exams. He has a tough time dealing with the fact that he may not be coming back. The Enterprise learns from Beta Z that Riker, Troy, and Loxana have disappeared and returns to the planet to investigate. While Loxana continues to sweet-talk Tog, Riker and Troy are able to escape from the cell but are unable to access the communication system. Loxana is able to trick Tog into giving her access codes just as his henchman, Dr. Farrick, walks in and catches her in the act. Farrick takes Waxana and begins using a mind probe to investigate her telepathic powers. The Enterprise returns to Beta Z and as quickly as able to determine the Ferengi are behind the abduction. Wesley is able to deduce the heading of the ship by homing in on, a background, on the background static that Riker was able to manipulate in a pattern that the crew would be able to recognize. They intercept the Ferengi vessel and Waxana agrees to stay with Tog if, she, if he releases Troy and Riker. Picard plays the jealous lover to perfection, leaving Tog with no choice but to have Loxana beam directly to the bridge. 
Wesley misses his ride to the Academy in the process of helping the Enterprise find the abducted crew members. Picard applauds his selfless act and promotes him to full ensign. All right, as usual, Andrew, why don't we uh, just start this off by giving a quick overall impression of uh, what you thought of this episode, and uh, maybe just if you have any specific memories of this episode, or maybe the first time you watched it, tell us about it. Uh, nothing really. This one comes up on cable often enough, I feel like, that I see it on occasion. It's a pretty standard Star Trek fare, uh, especially for the next generation. I think that it has a risque kind of name that makes it more memorable than maybe it deserves to be. And, of course, it's a Loxon episode. So that's all I'm going to say. Okay. When you look at the sort of general premise, it sounds like it might be really, really, really terrible. Yes. Um, agreed. But I actually thought the episode was pretty good. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about why I think that as we sort of move along here. Um, but I thought it was pretty good overall. I thought there were some nice little things that they kind of set up early on that uh, were very cleverly used uh, later on. Uh, as far as the first time I saw it, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, it w I would have seen it during reruns back in, you know, 1992 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, they were playing... It seemed like they played seasons three and four a lot. They uh, did, the yeah. reruns back then, yeah. Um, and I guess the big memory that I sort of remember from this is the scene with Picard reciting Shakespeare, which I'm sure we'll spend a fair bit of time talking about, so I won't uh, waste... A whole lot of time now. We'll save it for later. Now, um, I actually have a trivia question for you. Ooh, I like it. And I'm hoping this one will be a quick one, but we'll see how it goes. Um, now, we talked about siblings in the previous podcast because we were dealing with Nikolai Roshenko, who is mm -hmm. Worf's foster brother. Mm -hmm. um, and this week, we're going to be, we are going to spend a lot of time talking about one of Troy's parents. Okay. So my my trivia question for you is: How many Next Generation characters can you name that have had one or both of their parent parents appear on screen? Ooh, I like it. And I will give you two caveats. Uh, I'm including hallucinations or memories. Okay. And adoptive parents also count. So, okay. Um, what do you? How, how? Let's see how you can do here. All right. I am pretty sure that Picard's parents don't show up uh, because I remember that they talked about that in uh, with his brother. Uh, Riker's dad shows up. They no, have that's... a very uh, tumultuous relationship. That's um, correct. Wesley's mom works on the ship. Dr. Crusher. We see her in almost every episode. Every episode. And his <laughs> his dad is also shown, I believe, in a hologram message that's, as well. That's right. Uh, Jordy LaForge's mother shows up in a hallucination. It's in like the, the ship is stuck in like a gas cloud. Yep. And I believe that his father may also send a message. That's right. So that's LaForge. Uh, Worf, uh, his parents come to visit. Yep. In a hilarious episode. Uh, those are the Roshenkos, the foster parents. That's right. Uh, Lawaksana is Troy's mom. She seems to pop up all the time, actually. That's true. So that is um, another another character. Um, let's see. I don't think that... I don't think O'Brien's parents show up, although he's not really a main character. Uh, Data's dad is seen in an episode, even though he is a... Uh, it's again, it's a foster thing, right? Because he was created, so um, that counts. Yeah, Noonien Sung shows up. 
Is that the whole main cast? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, well, you didn't say anything about Dr. Crusher herself or Tasha Yar. Ooh, correct. Um, good point. Uh, Dr. Crusher, I feel like there is an episode with her dad or something, but I cannot think of what it is. It might be like the Sub Rosa or something where they, they meet up. There's, no, she was raised by her grandparents. So I don't think Crusher is one. And Tasha Yar, you do meet one of her parents in that episode with her sister, I think. Okay. Uh, you're right about all of them except Picard's mother appears uh, during... Uh, there's like a, an episode where the crew like keeps seeing like things that aren't really there. Okay. His mother appears. It's called Where No One Has Gone Before. Okay. Uh, to my knowledge, we do not see Dr. Crusher's parents. So you're right about that. And I don't believe we see Tasha. Yar's okay, so we see her either. sister. We that's it. We see her sister. Yeah. So you oh, okay? Got, good uh, one, Matt. I like that question. I like those kind of ones where you have to uh, you have to kind of make up with a list. Yeah. Those so are my you, favorite kinds of trivia. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Let's move on to some background and development info. There's a few little interesting little nuggets here. Um, the original title was Peace of Mind. Um, I don't know why they changed it. I assume that it's because someone came up with that title, and it's very clever. Menage Troy, though. Yeah, true. Peace of mind is... And I, and I don't remember, was frame of mind already done at this point or not no, yet? No. So I kind of like frame of mind better, but whatever. That's just maybe because I like that episode. Uh, now, this episode was written by Gene Roddenberry's assistant. And she had, like, a writing partner that she, I guess, wrote scripts with in their spare time. And this is uh, one of them. Yeah, we've had this conversation already, but I do love the idea that you had just random people and assistants and secretaries writing Star Trek episodes, submitting them and having them turn out uh, a wide range of good and bad, but I do love that that was a thing back in the day. You're never going to see it now with 13 episode seasons and continuity arcs and stuff, but back in these days... What a crazy time. Like, I don't know. And, you know, like, I guess next, Star Trek The Next Generation, and I believe the original series as well, it was made almost kind of secondarily, and then they sold it to networks. Like, it was a syndicated show. You're never going to see that anymore. Like, you're never going to see another show that has kind of that kind of level of control without the studio fingers in it and everything like that. So, I mean, you got to appreciate these things when they come up. One of the best episodes of all time, Yesterday's Enterprise, was like a story idea from a fan if i remember yeah correctly. like a write-in crazy now this was intended to be a comedy episode like it was it was like the intention of the writer was that it would be funny and, okay i uh, could see it yeah and we'll we'll sort of come back to this a, a few other times over the course of the podcast here but i thought that was kind of interesting because you don't really see a lot of like star trek episodes that they might have funny moments but they aren't like outwardly like like supposed to be comedy it's you know? really tough to do i know that everybody can name their favorites and things like that you know i yeah. always liked a uh, magnificent ferengi and stuff but it's it is a difficult thing to do yeah it's true it's tough to do in in, in science fiction i think but i i thought this was you know pretty pretty good for a comedy episode yeah yeah no i would agree now this uh the script was rewritten several times by a few other writers including uh gene ronberry himself uh, now, I, I mentioned before we started here uh, something about a, a, a fruit that was supposed to be at the picnic that Gene Roddenberry put in. And um, 
it's it's very inappropriate, and I'm, I'm not surprised at all that it wasn't put in, so I'm going to tell you about it. Okay, yeah, I did not read this, and I didn't hear this or anything like that, so tell me about this fruit. Okay, the fruit was called an oscoid, and it was supposed to be like a long cylindrical fruit with like veins in the on the side of it. Okay, and, and what was the reason for this? So in the well, what was supposed to happen was at the picnic that during the picnic scene, Troy was like supposed to take this fruit out of the basket and be like, be like, oh, uh, Will, would you like to have some of this and like hand him the fruit? <laughs> Okay. That looks that you know. You use your imagination of what what it's very phallic like. Fruit. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I'm having a hard time wrecking. And this was supposed to be with the mom sitting there. Like it, again, this is a, like a comedy thing. I don't know. I think it was just something that Gene Ronnery put it wanted to put in just because it was totally inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And I mean, I guess maybe in the comedy idea that makes a bit of sense because it's taboo you know what i mean yeah like it's something that you wouldn't normally see and because it's sci-fi you can have fruit that look like things it's not supposed to look like and stuff yeah i don't know i'm not really super upset that they took that out maybe i'm not surprised that they took it out yeah it seems kind of strange especially since early 90s it's not it's not kind of into the the 2000s where that was maybe more fashionable yeah i don't know it was kind of a bizarre thing that I, i i thought was worth mentioning Good research, though. All right, let's uh, take a look at uh, some uh, interesting plot points here. Now, the first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, some of the seeds that we got that were planted uh, right off the bat in the the teaser that come back uh, later on. In this, I guess the whole teaser really is that opening scene in Ten Forward, which was kind of a, a long one. But uh, there were two things right off the bat here that sort of came back later on. There was the the rhythm of that music that that mm-hmm. guy was playing with those weird looking hammer things, and then tubular was... bells. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but almost, yeah. And then there was also the game of of three D chess. Um, now. How did you feel, like, did you like having these kind of, like, little subtle things planted right off the bat and then have them come back later on? I actually took a completely different approach to what I think you are kind of getting at here, which is very interesting to me because all of my notes are on how the Enterprise is so lively and there's so much stuff going on and they always seem to be doing these, like, diplomatic missions. So I feel like the music and the 3D chess and Loxana talking to the Frangie and stuff like that. If that had to have, if that had nothing to do with the episode, I feel like people, you would buy it. You know what I mean? If if the after the credits, it went on and did something completely different, it wouldn't bother you at all because they've established so well that the Enterprise is a very lively place where lots of people come and go and lots of things happen. So it's actually not until the end of the episode, almost the last act. Where you recognize, oh, all of the things were set up ahead of time. And it was almost more subconscious than conscious to me, if that makes sense. Well, if I'd only watched the first half of the episode, I would just assume that, you know, it was just because they're just having a good time at this right. party in 10 Forward. But um, I actually thought it was kind of cool how, and there's also one other thing that comes back at the end, but it wasn't introduced right at the start. 
Um, but I actually liked, I, I really liked that uh, they, they thought to have these little things right at the beginning and then bring them back as part of the, the, the later part of the episode. I, I definitely kind of neat. I definitely think that this is better than, remember when we watched Genesis and they really uh, kind of forced it when everybody was in the medical bay and everybody had kind of these strange ailments and they were all bringing up stuff that what didn't really necessarily seem like something they would bring up randomly and then it ended up paying off later this was much more subtle and then when they play the music at the end through the subspace band you go oh it's the music from the beginning and, and it ties it back much nicer which indicates to me that this is just better more crisp more clean writing yeah, that was the thing that I the, the term I used that it was well constructed the uh, the episode. And yes. I thought that was really uh, really good. Later on, we have a little later on we have the the short leave on Beta Z. Uh, Riker and Troy are both given short leave by the captain because he was I think he said something like, "Oh, this is just a routine mission. You go take a take a break, number one." And then so which they, was kind of weird because I mean they I, I, again I have to go back and see where this is in the star trek world but are riker and troy dating is there kind of a flirtatious relationship because i thought that they had decided collectively or it was at least you know agreed upon that they were going to focus on their careers at this point not that they were going to be in a relationship well that was to be the point of discussion here is like what what is up with riker and troy <laughs> Right, this is, this is a little bit on the convenience side, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's always been kind of puzzling as you move through the series because, yeah, as a matter of course, they just have decided they'll be just really good friends. Mm -hmm. But the, every so often, there will be an episode or maybe even just one scene that makes you wonder, like, did they change their mind? Is there things different now? Right, or, and I mean, like, yeah. you know, you and I don't hold hands when we walk through the gardens, just because we're really good friends, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that's like a romantic thing. And there's yes. a weird, like, again, it's out of Picard's character. He kind of says, do I have to send you? Well, what? No, like, that. that's not, like, that. you never do that kind of thing. Like, it's, it doesn't really fit. So that's the only real kind of part that you have to give the episode in order to get behind it. Yeah, it was definitely a convenience thing that they like, oh, they decided last week they're going to give it another go. Right. And it just happens to fall. But is this just a future thing? Like, in the future, maybe relationships are just more on again, off again. Maybe it's a Betazoid thing. Because remember that Troy also had kind of an on again, off again relationship with Worf. Uh, in the, the later seasons yeah. and things like that. And then I think it's kind of established in Betazoid lore that you find your... Is it Imatiz? Imatiz? Imzadi. Imzadi. And once you find that person, then it's kind of like the equivalent of our getting married and you kind of settle down. Yeah, well, several podcasts ago, we talked about Kirk and Janice Rand and it had this sort of had similar, similar kind conversation. Of feel, yeah. yeah. How like... You know, maybe in the future, people are a bit more, you know, cavalier about their relationships uh, than yeah. they are now. I mean, who knows? Uh, and, and maybe that fits, too, just because, you know, times are good. There's lots of resources available. It's not as if people are going to stay together for the sake of uh, economic reasons or because, uh, you know, they've got all these assets that are accumulated between a, a couple. It mm -hmm. could be that people are more likely to kind of bounce around in between relationships because those things don't really hold you anymore. You just go to the replicator and get stuff. 
and yeah. they've gotten rid of all the kind of the bad, super stressful things that would make people stay together, even if the relationship hadn't, you know, isn't working. Well, and who knows? Maybe in the future we just evolve to be more free. And, maybe. You know. Although I would argue that maybe that's just kind of the way that humans, like the evolution of humans. Like it's not that we evolve to become that. It's just that we go kind of back to our, you know, free hootin' tootin' ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's possible. And again, you can only say that of the humans, right? Like, Betazoids, that just might be the way that it is. That's also very true. Although Loxana doesn't really seem like that's the case because she's always pushing, pushing for her to get married. That's true, yeah. So um, the next thing I wanted to, to talk about, so we... Damon Tog had this like plan that he was going to use Luxana to gain a, an advantage in his like business dealings. Um, does that make sense to you? I mean, we've we're, we're sort of at this point really reaching a point where they've decided, okay, the Ferengi are like these you know unscrupulous business men, and that's who they are. So I mean, does that does that sort of make sense to you? Like this plan of his to basically use a telepath for for his advantage yeah i think that they have established throughout all the series that the frangi will kind of take any means necessary to make more money to make more assets to make more business deals it brings up an interesting question what do you prefer do you like the tng frangi or the deep space nine frangi this is somewhat in the middle almost these guys yeah, that's sort of what I meant when I said we're like we they are still kind of finding their spot because I mean they, the first time the Ferengi appear they didn't really they had like those whips and they were super villainous yeah and they were like wearing like these weird fur outfits right yeah so they were kind of like just sort of like the villain of the week but then they sort of evolved them into more of like the embodiment of like all the you know bad greedy yeah capitalism right yeah exactly. I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was a decent plan, but um, it was very dependent on being able to like woo Loxana Troy, and I don't know if that's maybe the and is the backup plan was to kidnap her. <laughs> so right. I, I don't know if it was maybe the most well thought out plan, but I mean, I guess it did make sense. It's true. I mean, they do worse things in Deep Space Nine, but it feels a little bit more light. Somehow, I'm not exactly sure what the reason is. Probably because Quark is likable, so maybe the things that he gets into, he sells arms deals and he does things that are really bad. But we like Quark, and he's just a rascal, and we kind of give him a free pass. Whereas these guys are more villainous, so I think that they're they're in the transitional period. And for me, anyway, I definitely like the Ferengi as representing all the problems with capitalism and like greed and uh, that era of Ferengi. Now, Farrick, to me, he seemed, like, genuinely interested in learning the secret to, like, telepathy. Did, did you did you get that sort of feeling as well? Or did you think that he was just, like, the evil henchman? Did you do you think that they, they were actually going to think that they were going to learn how to do it? I don't know about that. I thought they were just going to use her, like, she was going to be part of the team. Oh, well, okay. I, I mean... They they called him doctor, so that would seem to, to me that he's like an actual scientist. Yeah, and there was like but... brain probes that he was going to do later on and things like that. Yeah. I guess maybe that makes more sense because if you were going to go and buy a new car and you saw that they were obviously Betazoid, like they had the the dark pupils, you probably wouldn't do, do a deal with that person, right? It doesn't really yeah. make sense. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. 
So we had a we had the B story in this episode was Wesley sort of getting he was getting ready to leave to do his final academy entrance exams and he was sort of getting uneasy about uh, not returning to the Enterprise or the potential of not returning to the Enterprise. Um, I mean, this this is sort of a relatable thing, wouldn't you agree? Like, because you know, when when you move out of your you know you move leave home for the first time, whether it's to go to college or whether you like get a job. I mean, that's, I think it's sort of a re- normal thing to feel. Uh, it, it's a very normal thing to feel. And I, I think there's a great line where Data mentions something over 90% of people who graduate the academy, you don't get to go to the galaxy-class ships straight away. And even if Picard puts in a recommendation or something, it's a very sought-after position. And we've actually seen characters pop up on occasion and they ha- that you they actually hear it was their dream to get a position on the Enterprise or that they want to get onto the Enterprise. So the idea that he's just going to pop up after graduating and get right back, it seems like that would be kind of nepotism. And that's probably not a good thing for the future. Like, I think that that's probably doesn't exist in the future and they would avoid it. So I think that it, it's kind of that scary thought. But then by the same token, he basically is an acting ensign. He's already doing all the adventures, doing all the stuff. Yeah, would would he really care? Like maybe he would be better off just to keep doing what he's doing, like a civilian scientist. Yeah, it, I I mean I thought it was sort of a normal thing for you to to deal with when you're you know leaving, essentially for him. I mean that's really his home for the first first time. I think that would be a normal thing. And like yeah, you're right. Data Data and LaForge didn't really help. Like there's a like Data. To, uh, had that line where he said 90% of graduates don't get assigned to Galaxy-class ships. And then the Forge also said something like, well, yeah, and Captain Picard might not even be in command when you <laughs> Yeah, he's not, right? they're so, not I helping. Mean, yeah, they're def- they definitely weren't helping uh, him deal with his sort of uh, anxiety of like leaving, uh, leaving the ship. But I have in the past said that I think that Wesley kind of needed to be kicked out of the nest a little bit. And so maybe that is kind of the tough love that he needs and i'm it, it it's the future equivalent of he's going to be sleeping on the you know, the basement couch right <laughs> eating the ringalos and playing uh final fantasy 3 on uh, super nintendo like it's not something that you want to just settle into when you're a teenager he needs to get out and meet new people and stuff and jordy does say that maybe not in the most sugar-coated way but it is kind of true you do reach a point where you need to go out on your own do your own things live your own life so that part of what i did like yeah i thought it was kind of a decent little uh, side story to, to this episode now uh we get this weird sort of thing where loxana is like trying to manipulate tog into letting them go in their own sort of way now we get Troy, like, there's, like, all these scenes of her, like, sort of cringing and and reacting to her mother, like, telling him how great he is and blah, blah, blah. Like, how how bad is that for poor Troy to have to, like, be, like, telepathically linked and actually almost experience it herself? Like, her mother, like, you know, sweet-talking this Ferengi. Giving him Umax? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I thought that Deanna was pretty bad in this episode. She was very bratty for a counselor. And maybe it's one of those code switchy kind of things where when you get around your parents, you act differently. But there's a few scenes where she's literally stomping around and 
it's almost embarrassing level brattiness from somebody who is supposed to be a trained psychologist. She seems like she has some mom issues or something. And then the whole psychic link to the mother, can't you turn it off? Why, why would, you know, it's not as if uh, you're being forced to link up. It almost seemed like she was purposely doing it and then cringing like, they have to be able to turn it off. Otherwise, if 10 people are in a room, it would be so confusing. So I don't know. Why did, what was she worried? I, I don't know. I, you, what did you think? Because I felt like, why wouldn't you turn it off? If you could turn it off, this would be the time to turn it off. I yeah. Don't think. Like this was, I almost felt like uncomfortable watching it because like, she's just like, Troy is all cringy and like, oh, mother, why? <laughs> yeah. like, like it was kind of an awkward part of the show to watch her react to her mother like i don't know it was kind of weird yeah there there was it was it was definitely uncomfortable but that was the point well yeah i guess <laughs> i mean and the worst part of it is too they kind of fade into a commercial break like we aren't supposed to think that loaxana and tog have sex during that that period i would hope not but who knows i don't know it's definitely a uh definitely like a, a strange place for a fade hey andrew here and i just wanted to say thanks for listening to random trek review uh, if you want to get some more star trek goodness then make sure to check out the rtr blog at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com you can also find us on social media itunes by searching for random trek review Twitter for by searching at Rando Trek Review and Instagram at Random Trek Review. Or if you just want to use the old style way of emailing questions, comments, or just gripes in general, then feel free to drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com. All right, let's move along to uh, Riker's um, very predictable jailbreak. As they're being held in the cell, you see the, like the two guards are like playing chess. And I don't, I don't know if it really hit me right away. When Riker started like playing against the guy, like by just telling him what to do through the force field, but um, as soon as he said he couldn't see the chessboard and like let the guy win, I was like, yeah. "Oh, I know what's going on here." Uh, like, you know how how clever did you think that that was? I mean, Riker's a pretty clever guy. Well, the problem is is that it's very difficult to break out of jail. And so if you're put into jail or you're writing an episode where you have the characters get arrested and put into some sort of confinement thing, it's pretty limited to how they're going to get out. Because the whole point of being in jail is that you can't get out. So there's the taking the spoon, escape from Alcatraz and, and scooping your way out or having your friends come and jailbreaking you out or, and this is seen in lots of things, where you convince them to let you out and then you escape. So in terms of ones that I've seen, this is a 7 out of 10. Obviously it has to play to this Ferengi being really dumb. He could have just moved the board closer to the the screen without actually letting him out but in terms of how to get out of a jail situation i'll put it in the back catalog in case i'm ever in a prison and uh, the guards are playing chess i'll you know convince them to sneak out the one thing i didn't really love about it is that they go back to the enterprise and they come back and the guard is just knocked out because they show him playing with the phaser and then they come back and he's knocked out so they didn't really show how that was like maybe he could have tipped the board into him or something but yeah well that was a total total ripoff 
like not seeing him break out like knock the guy out because oh, like, yeah. remember how he said he's like he's like sort of winging his hand a bit and he's like man it's like jaws you know these Ferengi jaws are made of iron right. something like that yeah. so then it's like an implied that he like just punched him and knocked him out right but um, as far as now you did forget one jailbreak that we actually saw in a previous podcast oh yeah Descent not uh, not Descent I'm thinking of the one when Kirk like the guy went to like give him his soup and he like dropped the bowl and the guy leaned over to grab it and he like punched <laughs> yeah, him that's so true. there's that one too but um, as this... far as this one I actually thought it was kind of clever because he did let him win. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't like he just started playing and then was like, oh, I can't see the board. Like, he actually let him win. Right. And then said, oh, I could have beat you, but I couldn't see the board. Again, it's right. that good writing. Just those little kind of details, right? That he lets him beat him a little bit and then uses that as leverage to get in. And that's something that you don't necessarily always see in television, right? Because they're too quick to produce them those little details i really do appreciate yeah and it was actually the same guy that he beat in the beginning it wasn't like he just beat some generic guy it was actually the same right guy yeah exactly it was pretty well this is you know one of the big sort of seeds that they planted early on that that came back to to be a big part of the episode later on now um dr farrick uh which is sort of tog's henchman uh, he starts doing these brain scans, and um, they were, like, really pain-inducing and torturous-looking. Um, did you think that that was really necessary for him to have this, like, machine that was causing all this, like, pain and agony just to, like, scan Troy's, like, like Waxana's, uh, like, brain waves? Yeah, they kind of ran out of ideas once they had the three of them and they separated them. They kind of start. They set up the uh, the whole Loxana Tog relationship thing, and then it falls apart. And then Riker's doing the chess thing. But then after that, I kind of felt that there was a bit of a fade away. It, it lost a little bit of its oomph on the 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 was the Creighton the Creighton yes. Creighton. Yeah, I thought that those scenes again the 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 dentist chair doing the brain scans i don't know I, I, that that didn't really do it for me it was okay but it wasn't my favorite part yeah i one thing that i was going to mention previously that you sort of have led back to is like there there's there's that scene where Riker and troy are out of the cell and they're like trying to access the community and it seemed like they were just sitting there for like hours yeah just and it's working like, on it and it's like no one else like thought to come check on the prisoners to make sure that like nothing bad was happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this goes back to Marina Sirtis is bad in this episode. Mother, we gotta get my mother. It's so hammy, and there's just something about it that just didn't really resonate with me. I felt that, and then they go to get her, and they don't even grab the guy's phaser or anything. Like they just walk in, and they get immediately captured over again. I don't know that that whole scene with the brain thing was probably the weakest part of the episode. Yeah, I I mean, I was kind of torn on this. Like, I mean, really what it came down to for me is, like, if they weren't painful, would it have really made that big of a difference in the episode? Because, I mean, they still need to go and, like, rescue her mother. It's not like Troy's going to be like, oh, my God, they're doing, like, painful brain scans. We have to go get her now, right? Like, right. they still have to go get her regardless of Yeah, she could have been just sitting there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if this was really, really necessary, but um, it was there. Moving on, uh, let's talk a little bit about the great uh, and also very quick detective work uh, by the Enterprise crew when they return 
to Beta Z after they were informed that uh, the trio was kidnapped. Data finds like the one single clue that was left behind, those like the Ferengi flowers. flowers. And did his, like, you know, Sherlock Holmes impression and, like, immediately deduced that, oh, the Ferengi are behind this. They must have kidnapped them. Um, did you, like, this was another one of those things that they sort of planted early on. Because you can clearly see Tog with the, like, the bouquet early on when they're having the picnic and he interrupts them. Um, how effective did you find this one to be? <laughs> I did like that picnic scene early on, and I did like when that they went back to it, getting out, stretching their legs, and you know, actually seeing a planet. And I thought that I'm assuming it's matte paintings that kind of slid in behind as well. But I just like seeing these planets in their glory. So the fact that they went back to it, I wasn't opposed to. But yeah, they didn't really have time, and that's not what the episode is about. It's not an episode where you go and you sleuth it out and figure it out they piece together relatively quickly like it's probably those guys from the trade conference that we weren't even sure that we wanted to invite because they're so dodgy it's probably them and yeah. then they find the flowers and they are of course only indigenous to uh, Ferenginar or uh, yeah. Ferengi settlement it must have been them so uh, I was not I, yeah, I didn't really think too too much about it I was kind of just enjoying the scenery, because it definitely looked very nice on Betazoid. Nice place for a picnic. Very nice, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a bit of a stretch, but it, it did work. I mean, they didn't have time to go on, like, this big investigation and, you know, comb through the area where they were and find all these, like, obscure clues. So, um, I mean, you know, the, the flowers being, like, a Ferengi species or whatever it was they said. I mean, that was good enough, I thought. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so there was some good quick detective work, and then it was even quicker tracking and interception of the Klingon vessel. So they, like, this one was a little bit suspect. It makes the Ferengi look really incompetent. And it makes their ships look really slow. Because I thought like, that they mentioned that they actually go the same speed as the Enterprise, though. That's right, they did. Um, because they're, yeah, because they actually mentioned, I believe in the, this episode that like, yeah, their ships are pretty much as fast as we are. And yet somehow they managed to like catch up to them in like 30 seconds. Yeah. They must not have been going very fast, <laughs> saving gas. They were taking the rural roads of the, uh, of space, <laughs> taking the back roads. The, road the Enterprise less, takes the highway. Yeah. The road less traveled. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Not, not too long ago, we were talking about like speed differentials in the when we were talking about precious cargo yeah i was always saying that back in the enterprise days it was a lot more interesting when ships had different speeds because then you could write stories that could involve a, a ship that you could never catch or a ship that you were way overmatched with in terms of speed weapons that kind of thing and this is yeah this is not necessarily as bad as like voyager level where all the ships were max speed but, yeah, when you are up against a ship that's the same speed, it's very difficult, right? I think that this maybe would have been easily solved by just saying the Ferengi ship could maybe do Warp 7 or something, and that would be max. Because it is pretty small. Yeah, I don't know. It was kind of a tough... Um, they were running out of time. They didn't... I mean, again, they didn't have time for a big elaborate, like, chase scene. Right. So they I mean, it's much... not The Last Jedi. <laughs> Two-hour chase. <laughs> yeah, two-hour chase scene. This, this would end up being like a three-part episode, two of which are the Enterprise chasing them down. That sounds great. Let's uh, 
just Sign wa- me up. watching the fuel gauge, the dilithium uh, fuel gauge, just getting closer and closer to zero. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that sounds like a great, great episode to me. Now this leads us to the jealous Picard scene. This, this to me is like one of the best scenes, I think, or one of the most memorable at least. Would you agree or disagree? Um, yeah, it's up there. I think that uh, there's a scene where his, or a, at least an image, where his arm is kind of out in that very typical Shakespearean look. Yep. And that has become an internet meme with a lot of other Picard memes that seem to be very, very popular. Face, the face palm. palm. Yep. Uh, there's also, I think there was a birthday message or something to gene roddenberry or to somebody where patrick stewart i should say dances with kind of one of those old-time barbershop hats and stuff and that's one that shows up all the time Mm -hmm. uh this is classic classic picard and I, i can't really think what my favorites are but this is one of them and i don't lots of people probably wouldn't even know it was from this episode but they know the famous scene where he professes his love to Loxana and convinces the Ferengi to give up on him. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's class, man. It's absolutely a classic. So what about you? I know that you like this one too. Oh, this is, this to me, it's like perfectly executed Mm -hmm. from the, from, from Troy saying you have to win her back. He like does like a double take. Mm -hmm. Then he tells Worf to like, you know, open the hailing frequencies again. And then he does like another like look at Troy as if like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Do I really have to do this? And Riker is kind of smirking. Riker laughing. is in the back just like smirking. Oh yeah. It was everything about this was just so well done. And then he's like stammering at first. He's like, no, 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 it's not over between us. Logs on Like he doesn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden it just like hits him, you know, mm-hmm. and he just goes and like, I mean, Patrick Stewart, wasn't he like a Shakespearean he was, actor yeah, prior he to this? Here. Yeah, so I mean, this is like perfectly suited for Patrick Stewart because he probably knows all this stuff backwards and forwards. How many times did you go back and watch this? Uh, I watched this one twice. Like, the, uh, well, the scene, I mean. Yeah, I, I just I watched it through twice and uh-huh. I watched the scene twice. I mean, I, I've seen it on YouTube and Instagram stories and things like that. So I've seen bits and pieces of it lots of times, but it's definitely watchable and you can watch it. Yeah, on loop almost. Yeah. Now, the one thing that I think maybe... I, I don't know if you spotted this or not, but remember... So he starts the countdown. He says, if you don't have... Luxana's not in my arms in 10 seconds. Fire everything you got. And so in the middle of the countdown, he, like, turns away from the screen. And I don't know if you caught, but there was, like, a little smirk aimed at Riker as he goes, mm-hmm. "'Tis better to have loved and lost." Yeah, well, and he really he, hams it. And he, oh yeah, that was just so good. Like, I laughed so hard when I saw that. It was just, this is just, like, to me, this is Patrick Stewart at his finest. This but, is just a, and, incredibly well done. But then to kind of switch it 90 degrees, I think an even funnier line is after he calls for the the cut and Loaxana gets beamed over and she sits in his lap and you know she says oh I want to hear more poetry and Picard gets up walks over to the two calm officers and says let's get to beta z pause warp 9 <laughs> like, that is just such a great little capper and just you know that little bit of captain flex uh that just yeah 
Total class, man. Total well, class. Well, and then there's also that, like, stereotypical Picard thing where, where Tog's like, I trust there will be no further action. And he says, like, such as reporting this to your superiors who may question your competence as Daemon. I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. Screen off. And yeah. that's it. It's over. It's, it was just so, so good. I even liked how the Enterprise was kind of hovering above the Creighton, like, because Creighton's really small. And they kind of did, like, an over-the-shoulder shot, like, kind of... Mm. just showing the the power difference and uh yeah the whole thing was really really good really really good and then sort of the last little piece here uh wesley gets promoted uh, the only thing i would sort of ask you about this is like um as far as like the grand scheme of things over the course of the show like was this the right time to to do it do you think well i mean it doesn't really make sense that starfleet only does yearly exams especially since starfleet is many planets and they all have different years different day lengths and things like that so that part of it was maybe a a little bit short-sighted that he would have to wait an entire earth year i guess to go and write it it is a feel-good way to end it but it doesn't really fit with the whole loxana stuff and the troy stuff so i don't know i mean whenever characters get promoted it is it's never really been like a full episode think about when uh benjamin cisco becomes captain like it wasn't really a full episode it was just kind of like they did it you know i i think it kind of does make sense because they he'd been an acting ensign for like i think a year and a half at this point and so i feel like he sort of earned it even though he you know selfishly missed his ride to the academy but i mean i guess selflessly i think well his intentions were good right um so i mean i I don't know i i think it's kind of a it kind of made sense and it was not a bad time to do it 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 didn't wasn't like totally out of left field all right let's move along to the uh the cast and the characters in this episode there's a fair number of guest stars so uh, let's try and uh, sort of quickly go through them here um i've paired a couple of them up so uh, we'll start with loxana troy and mr hom uh mr hom doesn't really do much in this episode he collects those berries yeah and yeah i thought that um when he like when they disappeared and he came back with the basket full of berries and he sort of had that look of like extreme confusion on his face i thought that was actually kind of nice like a pretty good little Bit yeah, of a little bit. I always like that Mr. Home guy. Now, how irritating and annoying do you find Loxana Troy to be? On a scale of Neelix to Ensign Tilly, uh, where, <laughs> where would you put Loxana Troy? That is a tough question. I kind of want to do like the political thing where I don't actually answer it. <laughs> where I talk about how I liked that uh, when they got beamed out... And they beamed the clothes off of them. I liked that there was kind of a double species nod there because the Ferengi don't let their women wear clothes. So when they beamed them, they didn't let the they didn't beam the clothes with them. Mm-hmm. And as well, if you remember, when Betazoid people get married, they get married naked. Yes. So they don't have like a shame thing. So both Troy and Lawaxa just stood there completely <laughs> butt naked, and they weren't like <laughs> shamed by it. They only put the clothes on because they were cold. So I did like that. <laughs> If you, uh, if you disagree, that's also fine. <laughs> I, the thing is, is there are a couple of good Luxon episodes. Like, as much as she is annoying, and as much as she has some episodes that are just 
chore to get through. Like there's an episode where you find out she had the dead daughter. There's an episode with mm -hmm. uh, Odo that I always kind of liked uh, when mm -hmm. they get trapped in the, the turbo lift. The turbo lift. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go really kind of conservative here I, on an annoyance scale. I'm going to say she is a five because I feel like it's about a coin flip. Um, I find her to be a bit obnoxious and really loud and overbearing. Um, so I, I would say she's fairly, fairly annoying. But uh, you do raise a good point that there are a couple of episodes that she is in that are actually pretty good. So um, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I've uh, lightened my stance slightly. Scale of Neelix to Tilly, what are you gonna say? Because, but again, maybe, maybe around like Neelix. Uh, let's move along to uh, Damon Tog and Dr. Farrick. I've sort of te paired them up because they were... I mean, Tog was like the villain. Farrick was like the henchman, kind of. Well, speaking um, of Neelix. Yeah, exa yeah, exactly. Speaking of Neelix, uh, Ethan Phillips played Dr. Farrick. Uh, did you like them as a team? Did you feel like they were sort of a good pair? You know, yeah. Tog was sort of the mastermind. Farrick was like sort of the brains. I didn't really think that they dealt with very much and they seem so incompetent if you think about they're tricked by that the speech by Picard and the guy you know Riker gets out of the jail even though it was a different one yeah I mean I thought the plan was kind of clever but they didn't really have a backup well the backup you know? was to kidnap them well but, they but really like did they really to expect it? to make off with like you know, Waxana Troy, I believe, was like a Federation ambassador. So, I mean, it's not like yeah. no one's going to notice that she's missing. Right. So, And she's like, she's like the queen of, or she's like a royalty on Beta Z, too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel the same way that they were, they had this like great plan, but they had no backup for it. And it yeah. wasn't really, I mean, it was great in theory, but it totally didn't work. It's like you and me <laughs> saying that we're going to put them, we're going to make a movie and we're going to make Meghan Markle be part of it. And if she doesn't want to be in it, we're just going to kidnap her. It's like, yeah, probably not the best idea there, guys. Uh, you're going to have a lot of people looking for you uh, yeah, exactly. when you try this. Now, we'll move on to the uh, the jail guard whose name is Nibor. Uh, I don't think we actually hear his name on the screen, but that apparently is his name. Um, this should be a quick... Uh, question here but uh i mean is he really anything more than just the dumb jail guard that gets badly outsmarted or yeah. is there anything more here no he's pretty much just the dumb jail guard and he's kind of surprised because is isn't 3d chess supposed to be a game of strategy and wit and intellect i uh, as far as i know yes oh, okay yeah he was just a jail guy and he was yeah. Pretty much cannon fodder here. The one thing that I found a little bit kind of puzzling was that he was at the reception. The only thing I can think of is like maybe he was like Tog's bodyguard. Does that make sense? Yeah. If he was supposed to be a tough though, he was kind of small. Well, yeah, but I mean, all Ferengi are yeah, smaller true. in stature. Uh, the last guest star is, uh, or the guest character is uh, Rayton Grax, who is um, the Betazoid sort of host, I guess, of the conference. Um,. Well, did he do anything for you, or was he just sort of like, just a guy? Just a guy. I have nothing to say. <laughs> just a guy, yeah. The only thing that I found interesting, and um, I don't know if I have this later on, but uh, he referred to Betazoids as Beta Zeds. Did you notice that? Yeah, is it a potato-potato thing? Oh, well, it could be. Yeah, because the planet is Beta Z. Yeah. So It yeah. wasn't like totally out of left field, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just... Or is it a slight against them? 
Or maybe it's like slang. Slang, yeah. Yeah. Humans. Who humans? <laughs> um, each of these guest stars had multiple appearances on Star Trek and played multiple characters. Um, oh, okay. Now, you asked me the trivia question about Majel Barrett, so we already know that she played number one, Nurse Chapel, and was the computer voice uh, in all the 24th century series. Uh, Ethan Phillips uh, is probably best known as Mr. Neelix on Voyager, um, but he was also a holographic maitre d' in First Contact, and he played a Ferengi named Ulyss in Enterprise. Yeah, that's true. Which you probably uh, have, I have recently watched. Watched in the near recently. Uh, Frank Corzantino, who played uh, Damon Tog, was the original Damon Bach. Oh, yeah? I, I When I started hearing his voice i remembered hearing it from somewhere else and when i looked that up i remembered it was uh, yeah he was the original daemon bach and he also played a ferengi named gagus in uh, a voyager episode so we got a lot of like multiple ferengi uh, actors yeah here. peter slutsker who is the jail guard nibor he played dr rega in uh, next generation okay he played another Ferengi named Berta in another Next Generation episode. I forget which one. And then he also played a Krenim uh, commander in one of the classic Voyager episodes, Year of Hell. Oh, that is a good one. I love that one. Yeah, so this is another guy who played multiple Ferengi. Uh, Rudolf Wilrick, who played uh, Rayton Grax. He was a, a Bolian admiral in a Deep Space Nine episode. Okay. So try to picture him with, like, bullion makeup. Okay. <laughs> and he also played a character called Captain Kulan in uh, an Enterprise episode. Okay. And then last, uh, Carol Stryken, who uh, plays Doctor H- or Mr. Hum. Uh, he played uh, the Spectre in a Voyager episode called The Thaw. Now, you don't really see him because he's wearing this, like, big, like, headdress mask thing. Okay. But he's, like, seven feet yeah. tall, so... Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting little uh, little piece there that we have uh, an episode with six guest stars who were all in multiple episodes. I thought that was pretty cool. Cool. Uh, moving on along to some uh, production notes. Now, I got some uh, a series of really sort of quick things here. Uh, there's a lot of, like, firsts in this episode. This is the first time the term Cochrane is used, and it's like a, a unit of measurement for subspace distortions. And you do hear it... Sort of periodically throughout yeah, the Yeah, sometimes of you hear like millicochrons and stuff. It's like a unit of measurement, and this is the, the first time we hear it. Uh, the Ferengi torture chair that Dr. Farrick used was actually a dental chair. Surprising there. Yeah, I'm sure there was very uh, little modification done to it to turn it into a torture chair. <laughs> uh, this is the first time we see a Ferengi hand phaser uh, in this episode, which okay. is something that we see... Uh, periodically throughout uh, some of the other uh, series. There are five different aliens, aside from the Ferengi, at the reception. Uh, I don't know how many of these you noticed the first time or second time. Only only it. a couple, to be honest. Yeah, so there is a Klingon, a Miserian, a Soleil, a Vulcan, and a Zakdorn. I feel like this is kind of what Star Trek should be all about. It's kind of these conferences with all these different species and stuff. And it's probably not the easiest thing in the world to get a guy to come in and do a Klingon makeup or put the Vulcan ears on. But I just think it adds a little bit. It just kind of is that sprinkle of liveliness to the ship that makes the whole experience feel a certain way. 
Yeah, it was pretty cool. Now, when I watched it the first time, I noticed the Zactorn, and I think that was it. Um, and then I read this, and I went back and I watched the scene a second time, and I did notice all of them, but some of them were kind of tough to see. Yeah, some like of them the, were kind of in behind and stuff. Yeah, and w the one had, like, their back turned until the very end of the scene. And so, yeah, the, but it was, I, I, I agree. It's very cool anytime you get to see a whole bunch of, like, aliens just sort of milling around in yeah. the background. Yeah. And the last sort of quick thing here is uh, that Troy debuts her uh, like purple and uh, gray outfit at the very end of the episode. So that's... Yeah, that's true. It becomes kind of a mainstay. She wears that on a like quite often, actually. Yeah, that was like her her sort of casual uniform of choice. Right until uh, Jellico was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, we talked a little bit about the, f the scenes on Beta Z. They were filmed at the Huntington Library Botan Botanical Gardens, which uh, I assume is in L.A. somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's like the northeast. It's kind of, uh, yeah, if you're in L.A. proper, you probably would need to rent a car and, or take a bus or something out to see it. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've been to L.A. I have not seen this particular star trek spot but it did look really nice so if i'm ever back there maybe i'll have to go check it out definitely yeah no it was previously used uh for some of the scenes in the uh first i think it was the first season episode called justice oh yeah that's the one where wesley falls into the flowers and faces the death penalty the, the death penalty for destroying them yeah yeah Okay, now the last little thing. Um, so when uh, Will Wheaton, or sorry, when Wesley got promoted, uh, Gene Roddenberry thought it would be cool to give Will Wheaton the lieutenant bars that he had when he was in the Navy. So there was like this big ceremony on the set. Um, Colin Powell, who would uh, later become the Secretary of State, was at this ceremony. And that meant that uh, Gene Roddenberry was on the set quite a bit when they were filming this episode. And... Um, Caused some, like, uneasiness because, you know, he's, like, there and he's watching and he's sort of looking over people's shoulders. I guess he wasn't really around as much back in those days. So At this point, no, right? Yeah, he's kind of so on the way out. I think I read specifically that the director, I think it was, was, uh, was particularly kind of like, oh, man, I got to, like, work while this guy's, like, watching everything I do, I guess wasn't too... He was a bit of a like a perfectionist, right? Didn't he always yeah. want to kind of have his hands and everything? All right, uh, Andrew, if you have any like memorable scenes or any good lines that you want to just quickly uh, throw out there, um, feel yeah. free. Yeah, I mean, I guess the I guess the obvious one is the Picard speech at the end, but I'm actually going to take the after scene because I think that it's a different kind of funny and it's a little bit more clever. Uh, in terms of when he walks up to the calm people and says to Beta Z, Warp 9. That to me was, again, the capper to a really funny scene. And uh, that's going to be my favorite line from this week. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I'm also going to try to sort of veer away from the obvious because we, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about that. I actually, for like memorable scenes, um, I'm actually going to take one that I briefly mentioned earlier when... Uh, Tog like kidnaps him and they beam away and Mr. Hom sort of like wanders back and he's got the basket full of berries and he's like looking around and he's very, very confused and um, I don't know, I kind of laughed a little bit and I, I just sort of like imagined like he probably just like sat there and just like ate all the berries. That is kind of his whole job. <laughs> he's supposed to be a guard, right? You'd think he'd yeah. be a little bit more panicked. Yeah, yeah, but he seemed he seemed very confused, but he didn't really seem all that alarmed. As far as like ta the best line uh, for me, I'm gonna go with um, 
where Riker was sort of like trash talking the Ferengi after he beat him in the chess or when the Ferengi like beat him at chess while he was in the, the cell and he said something along the lines of like I beat you in 30 moves but I was being polite I could have beaten you in 20 like I thought right. that was I that like just that like too. totally grinded that guy's gears like how can you not let him out to see the board after that again I said it you could just move the board closer to the cell yeah, yeah well but see that's why he I'm, wasn't too bright I'm too smart to be Ferengi perhaps yeah alright uh Final thoughts, and uh, give me a rating out of uh, five verses of Shakespeare for uh, Menage à Troy. I feel like I'm going to say the exact same thing that I said last week, but I, I think that it's true. If this was being compared to any of your run-of-the-mill stuff that you see on TV, this would be a five out of five because it's Star Trek, and it's so much fun, and it's so great. But the problem is, is I'm comparing this to other trek and so i kind of have to stick with my scale that i've created in my head and for me this is just another great episode of next generation like i wouldn't say that it is an amazing episode that anybody could walk in off the street and be blown away by um i don't even necessarily think that it's like a, an a minus i think that it's just a solid b episode and so uh similar to last week i'm going to give it three out of five shakespearean verses I really like this episode. Um, when it came up, I was sort of in the back of my head. I was kind of cringing almost because I, I just, I seem to remember this episode being really sort of cheeseball and not very good. But I thought the funny parts were really good. I, I, the premise, like it sounds really bad, but I thought the episode was really well put together. I mean, we talked about the seeds that were planted early that came back to pay off later on. Uh, the scene where Picard recites the Shakespeare was just, flawless i thought it was great the, the 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 look of unease at troy and then sort of the double take like you really want me to do this like come on you, i can't I, you want me to do this that's crazy i was a little bit torn but i think i'm going to give this one a very solid uh four verses of shakespeare out of five um i i really i mean i i didn't think i was gonna like it this much but i i thought it was really good Okay, I think I hear the red alert siren, which normally means that we will choose a new episode. But since we're coming up on the uh, one-year anniversary of Random Trek Review, we've decided that for our final two podcasts this uh, year, we are going to review a randomly selected Star Trek movie. So uh, That's right. We're going Hollywood. We're going... <laughs> yeah. We're going Hollywood. Yeah, so... Um, We've got a special uh, director's cap, uh, which we've put all the movies in, and um, so I'm going to choose one uh, out of the hat here. Yeah, it's and... kind of exciting, Matt, because uh, this is kind of like season one is over. You've had 12 episodes, I've had 12 episodes, uh, It's been uh, there's been some laughs, some tears. I kind of need a little stress break from having to recall all these Star Trek episodes. I feel like I have a better handle on the movies, so um yeah we'll just we you know what you you've pulled it out there we're eagerly anticipating i'm chewing my fingernails down there's only really a couple that i don't want you to pull but yeah so we're gonna take a stress uh lee a stress break from recalling because we've both seen the movies a bazillion times so i don't think we're gonna we'll probably score five out of five anyways so we're just gonna have a short reminisce about uh the film that we will be reviewing for you in the next two podcasts so uh, are you ready for the big moment i'm ready i'm i'm very excited
Okay, I think I chose one of the ones that you did not want me to choose, oh, but no. we will be reviewing Star Trek Nemesis. Star Trek Nemesis, okay. Uh, I actually have seen Star Trek Nemesis quite a few times. The ones that I haven't seen are Star Trek uh, Into Darkness. That was the second JJ movie. Yep. Uh, the motion picture I haven't seen a whole ton. And I haven't seen Star Trek V a whole ton. So those are the ones I hadn't really seen. I've actually seen this one a lot. For whatever reason, when I was kind of in university or uh, shortly thereafter, this seemed to be on TV and I used to watch it. Um, the aesthetics are really good. The movie isn't great. So, I mean, I think there's going to be lots to talk about. It's a little bit sad because this is kind of the end of the Next Generation crew and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I'm actually really interested to dig into this one and talk about it because, um, yeah, this is kind of the death of Star Trek for a long while. And uh, we can talk about why that maybe happened when we get to it next week. What about you? What, what, do you, what, were your, what was your gut feeling when you pulled out Star Trek Nemesis? Well, this is the movie that I have seen most recently. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, I was go. I went on this grand quest to watch all of all of the live action Star Trek shows, and when I got to the end of um, like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, I threw on Nemesis just because I was interested to see how it would sort of tie in. Right. So um, I have seen it fairly recently. I would say I've only maybe watched it four or five times. So, okay. Um, yeah, I definitely will have seen this in the last year or two. So it's been it's been relatively recently. Um, but I am excited to talk about it because it's one of those movies that everybody rips on. But I feel like when we go to discuss it, we probably will find some things in it that we like. And yeah. there are some things that I do like about it. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, it's you can find good in just, just about everything. So, um... <laughs> that is true. Yeah, no, this will be this will be a, a fun one to watch. Yeah, and this uh, is actually the third next generation thing in a row. So we're gonna be, mm. you know, when we finally get off of it, I feel like we will be, yeah, you know, we'll be excited to go and see some other crews. But yeah, uh, so yeah, like you said, it's gonna be a two parter, right? Yeah, two we'll part episode twenty five, episode twenty six. Yeah, so we'll we'll do it because it's a movie. I mean, it's essentially a two part episode, I guess. So right, we'll big do, budget. Yeah, so we'll we'll. Uh, We'll split it up roughly down the middle, and we'll do the first half in episode twenty-five, and the next in twenty-six, and then we'll have our uh, we'll have a little uh, first-year extravaganza. To yeah, a little birthday party <laughs> with a cake and everything. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. So the next three episodes, it's almost going to be a month-long bonanza basically it's got the most millennial thing that you can do you know like have like a, like a birthday week these days it's yeah. basically what rtr is doing we're just going to really lean into the end of the end of the season end of the first year and uh yeah we'll have some fun with it along the way yes we certainly will uh, i think that's about all the time we have so uh thanks a lot for uh for listening for joining us here on random truck review and uh we hope you will join us next time as we review the first half of star trek nemesis